Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. Most of the time, Christians are satisfied if their behavior before the unbelieving world reflects a proper ethical conduct and high morals. In fact, if we spend our entire day living in such a way, surely at the end of the day, we will be peaceful and probably feel quite good about ourselves and our testimony. But the Bible declares that what God is seeking from his people is not mere ethics and morality, but a life that expresses godliness which means a life that expresses God himself. This is much different, much higher than mere morality. Listen again to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us all things which relate to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and virtue. Bob Danker has joined us as our fellowship on the first few verses of 2 Peter continues Bob, you and I, before the microphone live, were remarking at how incredible this passage of Scripture and how really packed these four verses are, isn't it? That's right, Chris. I would say these four verses are among the richest portion in the entire New Testament. Here, Peter touches so many profound matters, such as this faith, yeah. this equally precious faith right. that we have been allotted by God. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he touches the divine power the divine life, godliness, all these deep matters, we really need to enter into the depths of the Word to see the real significance of what Peter is speaking about here. We'll come to this actually a little later on in the program, but since uh, we brought it up in the opening, let's talk for a moment about the contrast here between a moral, upright, proper, ethical kind of conduct and godliness as it's presented by both Peter and Paul in their epistles. That's a very good point, Chris. Actually, To have a moral and upright conduct is usually, as you said, considered quite admirable. And actually, God created us with a good human nature. So we like to be moral. We like to be upright. And we don't like to be evil, uh, you know, fallen persons, although we have to admit we do have a fallen nature. But we have a good human nature. I think we have the concept, or many people have the concept, that if we behave according to our good nature— which God created for us, that's sufficient. God is happy with that. But here, uh, Peter's talking about something much more profound. Mm -hmm. He mentions the matter of life and godliness. Life here refers not to man's human life, but to God's eternal divine life. And godliness is not just the expression of a high morality, but the expression of God himself, which is made possible by the fact that we have the very life of God. So this is a deeper matter than human ethics and morality, and this really touches God's eternal purpose and plan for man. If we are going to have such an expression, an expression of godliness, God himself, not just mere human effort and behavior, even the higher variety, it takes 
a kind of energy behind it. This first section is devoted to this short phrase, his divine power. Behind this expression of godliness, Bob, there must be the divine power. And that's what we want to talk about. We read the verse in First Peter that this is mentioned. Actually, as Witness Lee will point out, the Apostle Paul mentions it also in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, that you may know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the operation of the might of his strength, which he caused to operate in Christ in raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all rule and authority and power and lordship and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he subjected all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And Bob, when I was considering this passage, I couldn't decide where to stop. I just felt like you have to complete this thought to get the impression of what is contained in this operating power that raised Christ from the dead and the same power is operating in us, isn't it? This is marvelous. This great power that operated in Christ to raise him from the dead and do so many things, as you read in these verses, is now operating in us. All right, let's join Witness Lee. Here in verse 3, how many points do you have? Have you ever commented? What is divine power? What are all things? What is life? What is godliness? What is the full knowledge? What is glory and virtue? At least six crucial points. Okay, he is divine power. In the universe, there is such a kind of power, which is called the divine power. Not today's electrical power. People think, you know, electricity is the most powerful thing. You can send people to moon from the earth. But there's another power. I don't know how many times more powerful than the electrical power. This is the divine power. To land at the moon, just a short distance. Maya. To go to the third heaven, I don't know how many thousand times longer than from the earth to moon. From the earth to moon, to Jesus Christ, you just tap over this door. Where he went to serve heavens. What power did that? The divine power. And this divine power is mentioned clearly by Paul in Ephesians 1. A power that, what? Exalted him above all. Put everything under his feet. He's above all, to the highest peak of the entire universe. Yet, Ephesians 1 tells us this power has been applied to us. Such a power has been applied to us. And Bob, if we... uh can connect this to what we were talking about at the opening of the program. If this same power 
the divine power that raised Christ from the dead, that exalted him, that in which he ascended, that has put everything under his feet and is ruling, in a sense, over the entire universe. If this same power is now operating in us, then the possibility of the expression of a kind of godliness that goes far beyond human ethics seems not so out of reach, doesn't it? That's right, Chris. It all depends on this divine power. We can express God because this divine power operates in us. If we really consider the matter of expressing God, God is so great. All his virtues and attributes are so high, and we are here just mere human beings. How can we express such a glorious God? It's impossible. In our human life, with our human nature, we simply cannot express God in an adequate way. But this verse here says that God's divine power has done something for us. It has granted to us all things related to life and godliness. So it's by the operation of this great divine power. And this power is not just the power that created the universe. We know that there was a certain power exercised by God in creating the universe, but this is a power that operated in Christ in raising him from the dead. This means that this power is related to the divine life, the power of life. Christ, we know, was put to death in his humanity, but within the Lord Jesus was God himself as the great power in the universe. God, with his divine life, is in the man Jesus. And this divine power raised him, first of all, enlivened his dead humanity and raised him from the dead. What kind of power can enliven a man who has been put to death? This is the power of God, and it also exalted Christ by lifting him up and raising him and seating him at God's right hand in the third heavens and subjected all things under his feet and gave Christ to be the head over all things to the church. There's a power, and this power is toward us who believe, and it operates within us. It is right now within us. It's not a power that is operates to carry out outward miracles. It's the power of life, right. the divine life, that enables us to express God in all the richness of his divine attributes. This is a godly living that actually manifests God himself in our human life. You pointed out something here very important, and I I don't want to pass over it. I think it's a good way to lead into the uh, remaining portions of the program, and that is that this power operating in us In a sense, that is miraculous, and that gives us some miraculous possibilities. But God doesn't just miraculously, so to speak, change our nature and solve all of our problems. He has a very definite process that this power is bringing us into, doesn't he? That's right, Chris. This is not something, as you said, of a miracle that happens in an instant. But there is an operating power in our very being that gradually, day by day, with our cooperation, will bring us into the very glory of God so that we can express the God of glory in the way that he has intended that we would express him. If you get into these uh, first few verses, as you were pointing out earlier, how uh, profound they are, how 
packed with deep, high spiritual thought. There's a lot of clauses, a lot of modifiers, and it's uh, you can get lost quite easily here, but Witness Lee sort of takes one piece at a time and sort of chews it up and extracts all of the riches from it. We're going to come to such a phrase in this uh, next section. In verse 3, this divine power, as you said, has granted to us all things which relate to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him. We want to examine this phrase now in a coming portion. This divine power has granted us. This granting is not a small thing. It is to impart to you, to infuse into, and to plant into you all things. And uh, I do believe all things here don't include Mercedes-Benz. It doesn't include a big mansion. All things refer to all the aspects, maybe thousand aspects, of what our trying God is, not pertaining to your pleasure, but relating to life. Zui, not suki, pertaining to that divine life. How you can live that divine life. How you have to live by that divine life. How you live out that divine life. Relating to that divine life, all things have been not only given to you, but imparted into you. On the one hand, this is the inward aspect, life within, to live. Then, on the other hand, godliness. This God himself expressed in our conversation, even in our dream, in our every bit of living. God should be our expression. And this is godliness, the outward expression of the inward life. Then what? Through your full knowledge, through the thorough, deep, higher, experiential knowledge. This means you have to pass through a process. Listen, the divine power is operating. And you have to cooperate. This is why we are here. Just to help you to take a train. To take the train to pass through a passage of the full knowledge of the one who called you. We all, all take the train passing through this passage of the thorough, deeper, higher, and experiential knowledge. Saints, don't go too fast. You have to travel through, drive slowly, that you can see in detail. We need a full knowledge of such a one who called us with a purpose to bring us into his glory and into his virtue. Surely, if you have such an experiential knowledge, the divine power works quite well. Otherwise, even the divine power doesn't work. It works. It's powerful, but it doesn't work through you because you are short 
of a condition. And the condition is your cooperation. Well, Bob, there's so much in this portion, I don't know quite where to begin. Uh, i maybe just going to hand it to you and say, of all the things we heard, where would you like to start? Uh, you're right, Chris. There are many, many riches in this portion. Peter said that the divine power has granted to us. Right. And Brother Lee pointed out that this matter of granting is not just a matter of ordinary matter of giving, mm-hmm. but a matter of imparting to us or planting into our very being like planting of a seed right so the divine power has imparted something to us what has it imparted to us it imparted all things <laughs> and what is this all things it refers to all that the triune god himself is all his riches of his divine attributes and everything that God is, is included in the all things that the divine power has planted into our being. And these things are related to life and godliness. And life is the inward aspect, right? It's something that enables us to live. This is the divine life, the eternal life, the very life of God. Yeah, let me interrupt you here. He used the two terms that maybe I'd ask you to uh, define for our listeners who maybe have never heard these before in this context. One was zoe, the other suke. These are Greek words or Greek terms. Why don't you pick it up? That's right. Zoe is a Greek word used in the New Testament to refer to the eternal life. And suke is another word that We would translate life, but it refers to the life of the soul, man's natural soulish life. So the life that God has given to us in our salvation is not our natural human life. It is the divine eternal life, the Zoe life. So this indicates that God's divine power has planted into us, infused into us, imparted into our very being all the things related to the divine, eternal, zoe life of God. That's the inward life by which we have been regenerated and by which we can live our Christian life day by day. A Christian should not live by his natural life, trying to improve himself, trying to make himself ethical and moral. A Christian should live by another life that is the eternal life of God. The result of such a living by the divine eternal life is godliness, which is the expression of God. So Peter here mentions godliness. God's desire is that we would express him by enjoying and living out his eternal life. But then Peter mentions something else, and this something can be considered a condition. How does this divine power operate in us? Peter says here is through the full knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and virtue. There's something here of the full knowledge. In order for the divine power to manifest all the riches of what it can do in us, we need to gradually, slowly, as Witness Lee said, take a train ride uh, to pass through the scenery to know this one, to know this person. We cannot separate the divine power from the person of the triune God. So we need to pursue the full knowledge of the one who has called us. This full knowledge is not just a knowledge 
in doctrine or teaching, but a experiential knowledge. And this requires our full cooperation, and it requires quite a long period of time yeah. for us to know the Lord <laughs> in a full way. And it's through this full knowledge that we experience the operation of the divine power. All right, Bob, let's continue the phrase here in chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4. He says, he's, "...who's called us by his own glory and virtue." through which he has granted to us precious and exceedingly great promises. Here's Witness Lee again. Through the glory and through the virtue, God granted us the precious and exceedingly great promises. Have you got it? You know, there was a poor man looking into Peter and John while they were going into the temple, and Peter and John looked at that poor man. Peter said, Gold and silver I have none, but I give you what I have. What I have is just the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In this mighty name, I say, rise up and go. And then man rose up and jumped and leaped. What was that, you tell me? That was both virtue and glory. Amen. By what Peter, a Galilean, can carry that out? By the great promise. Before the Lord went to the heavens, the Lord promised them, Go to disciple the nations. I'll be with you until the end of this age. I just show you how the promises encouraged the early disciples to go on to reach God's glory and to touch all the divine virtues with the purpose that you might become partakers of the divine nature. Look at Peter on that day. Was he not there partaking of the divine nature? He was enjoying the divine nature. No wonder in the early days people look at those apostles just as God because they were enjoying God. They were partaking of God. This is the goal. That you may become partakers of the divine nature. Bob, I believe it was yesterday we were talking about this uh, same concept. And Peter and the, the early disciples, of course, witnessed the Lord Jesus firsthand in his living. And they saw his glory and virtue. And this was the attracting element that really captured them. Now, here, just a few days later, following his crucifixion and resurrection, what they are displaying is this glory and virtue by which and to which they had been called. It's tremendous, isn't it? Yes, Chris. In this account of Peter and John in the book of Acts, the Lord had actually departed from the disciples and had ascended to the heavens, so physically he wasn't with them. But they had his promise yeah. that he would be with them all the days. So they went out with this precious and exceedingly great promise, and they believed this promise, and they held to this promise, and when they encountered this uh, man, by virtue of this promise, they were able to partake of God's very nature. And not only did they accomplish a great miracle in raising this man or healing this man, 
That was the outward part. But they expressed God. They were there, partaking of God's nature and manifesting the glory of God. When people looked at them, we could almost say they saw God because these men, in partaking of the divine nature, were the same as God. They were expressing God in his glory. They were in the glory of God. So this is a tremendous thing through God's precious and exceedingly great promises that we may partake of his nature and be the same as he is in the very divine nature. Bob, I don't think they had such an expression by just merely living in the recollection of what they had witnessed, but they were living in the present enjoyment of God, of Christ, and the present partaking of his divine nature, and therefore their expression could not help but be God in its outward manifestation. That's exactly right, Chris. Bob, I'm just regretting that our time is gone. There's so much here. It would be nice to linger. It'd be nice to have another program over these same points because I think we could ride this same train again through this same passage of scenery and maybe pick up a lot that we missed on this time through, Bob. I agree. Well, at least we can recommend to you that you get the printed material and then take the leisurely train and go at your own pace and really absorb these riches. This is just a marvelous passage. It's a marvelous portion of Scripture. And as you said, Bob, maybe one of the most profound uh, condensed passages in all of the Bible and all of the New Testament for sure. Well, our toll-free number, if you'd like to contact us, is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. We'll continue tomorrow now in this life study of Second Peter. We hope you'll join us then. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks so much for listening today. Witness Lee's remarkable commentary on the life of Abraham, taken from the life study of Genesis, is now available from Living Stream Ministry in a single volume entitled Abraham Called by God. Abraham Called by God by Witness Lee is available at Christian bookstores everywhere.